Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you in another Thursday evening, reflecting into this very rich and great topic of theology of the body. And I am most excited for tonight because I have, uh, for the first time in eight years, my wife, Jackie, joining me. So, Jackie, it is great to have you with me. Good to be here. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, as always, um, as we have been uh, talking the stuff of theology of the body, I have uh, Ivan Moore with me as well. Ivan, great to have you with me. Great to be back. So now, if you have been a faithful listener to this program, you might be asking, why is your wife with you, Joe? Well, uh, tonight we have uh, the opportunity to talk about some very important subject matter in contraception, and uh, my wife being a medical professional— I thought her background on some of the questions that might be lingering behind contraception uh, would certainly be benefit to this program. So this is why I have her joining me, and uh, of course, it's just great to have her here in the studio with me. That being said, I thought we could take out a night and uh, within the context of Theology of the Body and respond to the question, why do you uh, believe that contraception is wrong? Uh, This really is a response uh, tonight to... First uh, Peter 3.15, when he says, Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope, but do it with gentleness and reverence. So tonight is not so much a judgment upon any one person as much as it is an explanation to why we believe what we believe, and ultimately an explanation that would lead to more dialogue about contraception. Tonight will be taken up not only within the context of theology of the body, but even more particularly in the context of the language of the body itself. Let us first recall the Pope's thesis statement on theology of the body, that the body, in fact, and only the body, is capable of making visible what is invisible, the spiritual and the divine. It has been created to transfer into the visible reality of the world, the mystery hidden from eternity in God, and thus to be a sign of it. Only in this context can we begin to understand collectively marriage as a sacramental sign. Hence, if wedding vows express a language of the heart, a language of the spirit, if you will, there must be a corresponding language of the body. I know, Ivan, you and I talked about this uh, in, in the opening weeks, where we are emotional about something and we shed a tear. That tear is a sign of an inward reality. Maybe we are embarrassed about something and we blush, and so we have these red cheeks. Those red cheeks are a visible sign of an inward reality. So there is a language of the body that is being communicated, and it communicates an interior reality. And just more collectively on the language of the body, I think this shouldn't be too hard to grasp. I mean, if you think about it, you know, a wave of the hand says hello or goodbye. You know, a shrug of the shoulders says, 
I don't know, right? I mean, a raised fist expresses anger. You know, researchers tell us that between 55 to 60% of all language is unspoken. So for all of this, as it relates to the body, what is sexual intercourse meant to express? Or what is its true language, its true meaning? Well, according to John Paul II, the bodily union of a man and a woman is meant to express simply divine love. This is what we are called to, and this is what we long for. Nothing less ever satisfies that deepest ache. John Paul II has a most provocative quote from Theology of the Body that I wanted to read here, guys. He says this as it relates to the way in which the body reveals somewhat of the mystery of the divine love. Through gestures and reactions, through the whole dynamism of tension and enjoyment, whose direct source is the body in its masculinity and femininity, the body in its action and interaction, through all this, man, the person, speaks precisely on the level of this language of the body. Man and woman reciprocally express themselves in the fullest and most profound way made possible for them by their masculinity and femininity. So what is John Paul II saying? When two become one, we experience this kind of bliss that essentially is an actual sharing in the mystery of divine love. Wow. I mean, that is powerful stuff. What's more now, guys, is how this bodily love points to a deeper love, that sacrificial love that gives of itself in everything. So when it comes to relationships, we're always wondering what is the best way to love each other? You know, Joe, just two months ago, I was at a man's group and a man stood up and he's a friend of mine and he said, you know, I'm dating this one person and she's just very obnoxious and I just don't know how to love her because she's a very difficult person. So what do I do then? And somebody stood up and said, well, man, if you want to know how to love her, just look at the cross how Jesus Christ loved his church. Because we were very obnoxious to Jesus. We spit on him, we crucified him. But what did he do? He loved us. He loved us freely, totally, truthfully, and faithfully. And so I think that we should mention right now these, these four elements of love. Uh, free, total, faithful, and fruitful, which are mentioned in theology of the body. Um, when we look at the cross, we see that Christ loved us freely. No one took away his life from him. He said in John 10, 18, No one takes away my life, but I lay down on my own accord. He said, I love you totally. He holds nothing back. He gave his very, very blood for us. He loves us faithfully. He said, I'm not here doing my own will. I'm doing the will of the Father. And he loves us fruitfully. He said, I have come here that you may have life and have it to the full. So whenever we wonder how are we to love one another, we should always remember this sort of measuring stick mm-hmm. of love mm-hmm. that Christ has offered us. Mm-hmm. By remembering how he loves us, we can know how to love each other. Yeah, and what would be really important to emphasize there, Ivan, is that he is giving his body, right, freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully. Okay, our salvation comes by way of the incarnation of God in the flesh. He gives of himself 
so that he might marry his bride, the church. And it is no wonder that for this reason, we hear the words from the priest or deacon during our wedding. Have you come here freely and without reservation to give yourselves to each other in marriage? Do you promise to be faithful until death? Do you promise to receive children lovingly from God? The bride and groom each say yes. And what are they saying yes to? (laughs) Giving themselves over to their spouses freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully. And what's so important for us to appreciate here is, yes, we do this in sexual intercourse, that conjugal intercourse. But what that donation of the flesh points to is the need to give of ourselves in the flesh in everything in every way. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago, how that sexual attraction, that sexual urge is the raw material for more authentic love to develop. That love which is revealed by Christ on the cross. For this reason, as Christopher West would remind us in his treatment on theology of the body, during conjugal intercourse, a moment so rich in meaning, it is particularly important that the language of the body be reread in its truth. Earlier we talked about the language of the body, but the body can lie. All you have to do is, is go into sacred scripture. I mean, Judas kisses Jesus. And often when we think about a kiss, we think about this outward sign of someone's affection for another. But in reality, that was, of course, as we all know, the kiss of betrayal. His body lied. So for John Paul II, we need to make sure we are rereading the language of our body. We are free to choose whether to engage in sex. But if we choose to engage in sex, we are not free to change its meaning. When we look in the mirror, our bodies only make sense in light of the opposite sex. I know I have an appointment we talked about over the past few weeks. This is the spousal meaning of the body, male and female. I mean, I remember on this point when I was teaching theology of the body for teens in junior high, we were talking about this. And it was a seventh grader who raises his hand and he says, yeah, Mr. H, I mean, when you're connecting extension cords, you can't put two male ends together and, and think it's going to work, okay? There's a reason why one end is called the male end and the other is the female end, right? So we are not free to change its meaning. The language of the body has clear-cut meaning. Remember, in the vows, the question, are you ready to accept children lovingly from God? The man and the woman answer yes. If, if spouses say yes at the altar, but then render their union sterile, I pose the question, is that yes a lie? We are talking about this here tonight, um, not because, again, uh, we are here to condemn or we're here to judge, but I think in the language of the, the body and theology of the body, there are principles that are set forth that offer clear reasoning that point to not only the truth of male and female, but also the lie if we're not open to life. And I know this is hard, but it's very uh, important to, to think about as we, uh, as we continue our reflection here tonight. 
So when marriages introduce contraception into conjugal intercourse, they are saying, I give you everything, all that I am, but my fertility. What are we saying? Again, to talk about this within the context of the language of the body, we want us to begin to think about this within the context of the language of the body, okay? That the body communicates something. This is the challenge. Remember what the word challenge means, you know, challenge provocatio, to call forth, to call out. We have to draw back and begin to appreciate some of the things that we're talking about right now. All of that being said, I've asked uh, my wife to uh, join us tonight because there's more than just the philosophical or theological why we don't do this. In fact, um, as I noted off the top, she is a medical professional and there's some interesting facts that lie behind some of the things that's happening because of uh, the exponential use of contraception. I just wanted to share a story from when I was in PA school. I learned all about different medications and what they do. That's obviously part of, part of learning about medicine. And you learn about their mechanisms of action. And when I was in school, I didn't have an issue with birth control at the time. I didn't understand the church. I didn't understand theology of the body at the time. And I was very surprised to find out what the mechanism of action of the birth control pill is. So I just wanted to go through that because uh, most women don't know this. They don't know what that pill is doing to their body. So if you pull out any insert from a pill pack, you know, the insert that has all the potential side effects and everything, there's a part that says mechanism of action. And there's three things that the birth control pill does. The first being it decreases the likelihood of ovulation. So it suppresses the ovaries, makes you less likely to actually ovulate. The second is it decreases mucus production. So that's another safeguard in preventing conception. So if you have decreased mucus production, you're less likely to become pregnant should there be a breakthrough in ovulation, meaning it decreases ovulation, but there are times where you still ovulate. Um, the third being it decreases the lining of the uterus. So it makes the lining of the uterus not be thick enough so that, say, a breakthrough ovulation occurs and conception occurs, the baby cannot implant into the uterus. It acts as an abortifacient. So a lot of women don't realize that in taking this pill, they're actually occasionally causing abortions to happen. So this is the only medication out there, aside of chemotherapy, cancer treatments, right, that actually make an organ system not function correctly. If I may interject here, hon, I just think that point is so overwhelmingly important. Now, you talked earlier about, you know, we just, you know, women just do not know, you know, and you and I have both experienced that once they find out, they begin to think about this a little bit differently. The point of medication to take medication is to actually make organ systems work better. And that's not what the birth control pill is doing. It's actually hindering you from becoming pregnant. Now, the Catholic Church isn't just saying that only the birth control pill is not okay. They're saying that all contraception is not okay because it comes between you and your spouse. So Jackie, I think the elephant in the room right here is 
So what you're saying is that the Catholic Church wants everybody to have a thousand babies <laughs> and never say no to giving birth. Yeah, that's a really great, it's a really great, great question, and I think that's a question in everybody's minds, including many Catholics. Certainly, the Catholic Church says that if there is a circumstance where you feel that you should not be bringing more children into the world, then they give you this beautiful way of avoiding pregnancy, and that's using natural family planning. Natural family planning has a history of being not so accurate, as some people would say. You may have heard of the calendar method or the rhythm method from long ago, and you're right, that didn't work so well. <laughs> and a lot of pregnancies resulted um, because people didn't know really what they were doing. There was no medical studies behind it. Um, but now there's been wonderful Catholic doctors out there who have studied more on natural family planning and looking into how a woman's cycle works. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to see how, how a woman cycles through um, fertility and infertility. And using days of infertility for intercourse can actually avoid pregnancy. And obviously using days of fertility increases your chances of becoming pregnant. So it really honestly is not a difficult thing to learn. Actually, Mother Teresa um, of Calcutta taught many of the women in Calcutta how to follow their cycles um, to avoid pregnancies. <clears throat> so it isn't a difficult thing. And many couples use it very accurately. I guess at this point I'll talk about how accurate is and natural family planning. I'm a Creighton model teacher. I teach couples how to track their fertility using a Creighton model, and you can look it up online, CreightonModel.com. And in, in teaching them, people are really surprised at how accurate and how effective it is. It can effectively avoid pregnancy by 96%. And you're saying, hey, wait a minute, I thought the birth control pill was 99% effective in avoiding pregnancy, but the birth control pill claims 99.9% .9 because that's method effectiveness. That's perfect use and no one's perfect. So there might be days where you forget a pill and take it later or take two and nobody really takes it perfectly. So the birth control pill is actually less than 96% use effectiveness. That's everyday use. So actually um, the Creighton model is more effective than the birth control pill in avoiding a pregnancy. As you're talking, Jackie, I know that you've had the chance to work with a number of couples, as you just mentioned. Maybe you can speak briefly to that. I think there's some points of revelation, I think, maybe for our listeners as it relates to how natural family planning is very enriching uh, for marriages in general. A lot of the couples that I teach are um, engaged couples, and it's really interesting to see how they progress in learning how to chart the woman's cycles. The woman really is blown away at the ease of how um, the Creighton model works. And just seeing her cycles on paper, it's very empowering for women to be able to see how their body is working. And before it was being covered up by medications. So I really see as a couple them grow even into their marriage, you know, I meet with them frequently in teaching them Creighton model. And they really come around, especially the male. Because <laughs> oftentimes the woman is totally on board with learning how to chart. 
but the man is kind of not so sure. Um, and over time, he's able to see, you know, on paper what's going on in his wife's body. And suddenly he realizes how beautiful that is. And he so often I'll suddenly get the men coming into the room wanting to show me the charts more eager than the women um, because they think it's pretty cool to be able to see their, their wife on paper, what's going on in her body. And it goes back to that free, total, faithful, fruitful love. They're totally giving themselves in their marriage. They're being faithful to each other and they're being open to life. Jackie, one of the things that strikes me is that as just collectively, this Thursday night is devoted to theology of the body. It is devoted to a deeper and better understanding of not only the language of our bodies, as we're talking about tonight, but also how this enriches marriages. So how does this enrich marriages? Well, when we travel and we talk about this subject matter, I always make the point that, I mean, if you can openly talk about the stuff that concerns the Creighton model and the stuff that concerns all of the, the physiology of the woman's body, then certainly you can talk about finances, you can talk about laundry, you can talk about all of those other things. And I think that is so important because theology of the body, just it just doesn't, it's not an end in of itself. It's always pointing to how we can love more. As a husband, uh, based upon what I've come to know with this model and with this method, I am more free to totally give myself and I can be more faithful in every which way that is more life-giving. And whether that life comes in the form of a child, we have four. <laughs> so it's, um, I, I also want to make another point here. You know, the qualifications, you know, is not natural family planning just Catholic birth control? No, it's not. What John Paul II says when he talks about certain qualifications is for a husband and a wife to come together and to discern whether or not they are to have a child based upon economical, physical, or even psychological reasons. That is an important point to be had because certainly I know we get the question asked, is not natural family planning just the Catholic form of birth control? Yeah, I mean, and technically speaking, what we can say to it is, yeah, it's it's birth control based upon self-control, you know, and of course, the self-control, the self-mastery, actually practicing abstinence within a marriage uh, is very life-giving. Um, so I just want to tune in there that there um, that we really need to remember what intercourse is all about. It's for two things, babies and bonding. And if you take one of those out, it's just sex. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important to remember. When I first moved to the dorms in Chico State, just the very first week that I was living there, there was a mandatory meeting to go to. And this meeting was called How to Have Great Sex. And there were some good points that were talked about it, which was in order to have great sex, there has to be consent. But the idea of abstinence, the idea of chastity or saving it for marriage was never mentioned. It was all surrounding around this idea that you're going to do it anyways. Therefore, here's some ways that you can protect yourself. But I don't even like the word protect. Because who do you protect yourself from? From your enemies. Why would you protect yourself from someone that you love to? So I think that when people hear theology of the body, they lack this message because it's different than all the other talks about sex out there. Mm -hmm. When you hear sex talks out there, they say, you're going to do it anyways. You don't have the freedom to say no. Therefore, here's all these pills. Here's all these different things you can do to protect yourself. 
But when you hear theology of the body, you hear hate, you're actually capable of saying yes and saying no. God has redeemed you, and you can do the right thing if you want to. As you talk about this, Ivan, I am made to remember um, Edward Sree's words from his work on men, women, and the mystery of love, where he's reflecting upon John Paul II's love and responsibility. He talks about how sexual union itself does not automatically bring about a true union of love. You know, a wife, for example, may go through the act of physical intimacy without actually experiencing a deep personal intimacy with her husband, an intimacy collectively based on her sense of his total love and commitment to her. You know, the likes of a Chico State would suggest uh, that uh, the union of two persons is a union of love, when in fact it's nothing more than, uh, than persons using each other as objects. Remember that great John Paul II line, people are made to be loved and things used. We love things and use people. I mean, yeah, just quickly going back to that point I was talking about as it relates to the women and physical intimacy and personal intimacy, some women have uh, shared with me in various accounts that when a man is committed to her totally and entirely, as we've been talking about so much, that is so much more life-giving. Then that physical intimacy means so much more. And that's what really theology of the body is, is all about. Because when you talk about the physical intimacy and personal intimacy, you're very much talking about the body and soul, flesh and spirit, the full vision of man. And I don't think we often think about sex in this way. Actually, I think our society hardly ever thinks about sex. Yeah. We fantasize about sex. We joke about sex. We sing about sex, but we hardly ever stop and wonder, okay, so what is the true meaning of sex in the mm -hmm. first place? In fact, you can just try this. Go on the streets and ask 20 people, what do you think is the meaning of sex? And chances are most of them will hesitate before answering or mumble. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we don't often think about it. And so that's what we're doing today. We're reminding ourselves what the whole point of this sexual union is. This union is an icon of the ultimate spiritual marriage that we will have with God. And it should express love in the, same, in the same way that Christ loves us. He holds nothing back. He gives us nothing than His everything. Mm -hmm. And when we don't love this way in our relationships, we get bored. Mm -hmm. We are unsatisfied. Why? Because our hearts have been, this, have been wired for this everlasting, unlimited, unreserved kind of love, mm -hmm. which is Christ-like love. I think this is one of the reasons why our teens love talking about this topic and listening to it because when they hear uh, sex talks on campus or other places, it's usually, oh, you're going to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to give you these pills. Mm -hmm. Or you don't have the capability to say no, therefore, uh, here's all these other methods. But when, we, when they hear theology of the body, it's a message of hope. It's a message of redemption. It's saying, hey, you can say yes, and you can say no, and you have that freedom mm -hmm. to love. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well put, Ivan. Well, that's a wrap, guys. Uh, great program. You know, and I just want to close again with a word for our listeners. You know, we've talked about a lot, and, and maybe this was hard to hear. What I do want to say is that uh, for the three of us, we have come here together to offer up a reflection on just not contraception, but contraception within the context of the language of the body and this call to love freely, faithfully, totally, and fruitfully. 
and be open to this language that God has inscribed and stamped into the very fiber of our being. And so let our monologues turn into dialogues that we might indeed discover the beauty of truth and uh, listen to one another. Uh, I certainly uh, would look forward to hearing from you. Just head to my website at joholcraft.org and contact me through there. That would be great. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.